What's up, church? How are you guys doing this morning? All right, all right. First service was way better, but that's all right. Okay, you guys got the extra sleep and all that stuff. Now, okay. Um, hey, we, every single one of us, we're all faced with decision after decision after decision. Like, it's just, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to realize that um, every, you know, day we're fi- faced with choices and decisions. Now, some decisions are incredibly difficult, and we kind of worry about them. We agonize before making that decision. Other decisions are super easy to make. Uh, for example, a couple years ago, I went to the dentist, okay? And I ha- let me just start off by telling you, I hate going to the dentist. I don't hate my dentist. Okay, that's Brant Weininger, Do- Dr. Brant Weininger, who goes to church here, so I got to watch what I say. But I'm pretty sure he's serving in children's right now, so I could say whatever I want. But anyway... Um, you know, I feel, uh, you know, I, I, I just hate going to the dentist. It's not my favorite thing in the world to do. And I think I'm in the majority here. I've never met anybody that's just like, wow, I can't wait. I got a dentist appointment next week. It's going to be awesome. Like, I've never heard that before. And so a couple years ago, I go to the dentist, and uh, Brant, Brant, he tells me, Dr. Weininger tells me that um, he's like, hey, you got a wisdom teeth that should come out. And he's like, we could just go ahead and take care of that today. And I'm like, oh, you could do that. You could do that right. Oh, yeah, I could do that right here in my office. And I'm like, that's an easy decision for me. I'm like, no. (laughs) I'm not letting you touch my tooth. It's all right. Like, it doesn't hurt or nothing. I don't think it's causing issues. And he's like, it might not be causing issues right now, but someday it's going to mess up the rest of your teeth. So you need to get that thing out of there. But I'm like, dude, I'm good. I know you're the doctor and you got all these degrees and this is what you do for a living. But it's my tooth. Like, I know my teeth. My teeth are fine. Anyway, fast forward to a few weeks ago. I'm, uh, I'm doing my thing. I start realizing that my, my top teeth are, like, moving. I don't, didn't even realize teeth. I guess, I, you know, thinking about teeth do that. I don't know how they do that. But my teeth started moving. Like, gaps were changing and stuff. I'm like, what is going on? And then I'm like, <gasps> it's happening. You know, it's moving. Brant told me this was going to happen, and it's finally here, and I'm going to have to get that tooth taken out. Oh, man. And I start, like, asking around, and people are telling me, every, but no one has a good story about getting their wisdom teeth taken out. It's all horror stories. And they're all like, oh, man, you're, you know, your jaw's going to blow up, and, and you're going to be saying things that, that you don't ever want anybody to hear, you know, everyone, anyone to hear you say. And they're going to record it, because that's what people do now. And it's just, like, all this stuff, and you're going to have to drink out of a straw and just all these things. And it's going to take you out of a commission, you know, out of commission for a few days, and it's going to hurt so bad, and just all this stuff, and I'm just like, oh, man, and so I, you know, for a few weeks there, uh, I'm like agonizing about this decision. I'm just like, man, I have to do this, but I don't want to do this, and like, I wonder how, like, messed up it's going to make my teeth. Like, I've never had braces. I'm not trying to have braces at 35, you know what I mean? You know, I'm just like, like, that's fine, but it's just like, you know, I don't want to go through any of that, and so I'm like, I got to get rid of this, you know, I got to get this teeth tooth full. And so I made the hard decision for me, maybe some of you guys it's easier, where I'm like, all right, I'm doing it. So uh, last week, I go into Dr. Weininger's office, and dude, his, his dentist's office is sweet, okay? I'm just saying, for a dentist's office, which I don't like going to, like his is the coolest one. It's like high tech, like he's got a TV right there, he's showing you his x-rays. He can x-ray you like a bunch of different ways. It's just all this stuff. And so I go in, I sit in the like chair thing, and uh, the nurse, dental hygienist, I don't know what they're called, she, like, comes up and she's asking me questions. She's like, okay, so we're going to pull out your wisdom tooth today. And I'm like, oh, yeah. 
And she's like, um, so it hurts a lot? And I'm like, no, actually, it doesn't hurt at all. I just think it's moving around, my stuff around. And so I'm giving her, like, the theory of what I think's happening in my mouth. I'm like, so that's why I'm getting it done. And she's like, okay, so, um, so Brant didn't tell you that this is what's causing those, the, the teeth move? And I'm like, no, but I think it is. And she's like, and at that point, I could read it on her face that she's like, this dude does not know what he's talking about. And I didn't know what I'm, what I'm talking about. And so she says, okay, well, let me say this. If the doctor comes and looks at you and he says that that's not what's, what's causing your teeth to move, do you still want us to pull that tooth? Easy decision. No. <laughs> I would rather not go through that. And so, uh, and when I say that, right after I said that, um, I hear Brent from like, maybe he was the next room over in the hall or I don't know, somewhere. He, I was not facing that way. But I hear him say like down the hall, he's like, no, that thing's coming out today. And so sometimes it's just easier when they just make the decision for you. You know what I'm talking about? But we make decisions all the time. They're just a part of life. We make big ones. We make little ones. There's easy decisions. There's hard decisions. We make decisions every single day. I mean, think about this morning. This morning, you rolled over on your bed, and you decided, am I going to go to church, or am I going to sleep in? Right? Am I going to wear this, or am I going to wear that? Am I going to have cereal, or eggs, or waffles, or Pop-Tarts, whatever you do? You know, we we, we make decisions all the time. Which way do I want to drive to church? Okay, what parking spot am I going to pull into? Do I want coffee? Do I want tea? Do I want to sit there? Do I want to sit here? Do I want to avoid those people at all costs or do I want to talk to them? It's just all this stuff that you got, you know, we all make decisions constantly. It's just choices. Um, and those are little decisions. They're just peppered all throughout our daily life and they're constant. But many times we have, you know, we're faced with big decisions in our life, like a decision on our health, all right? Do I do this or do I do that? Now, buying a car, all right? Maybe it's a career change. Should I move? Should I get a divorce? All right, should I break up with my boyfriend or girlfriend? Or should I marry my girlfriend and boyfriend? Uh, what school should I pick? What major should I go into? It's just all this stuff. These are big deal decisions. And usually the big decisions in my uh, professional opinion, or from my experience, those ones seem to be the hardest. The big ones are the hardest, and we agonize over them, and we worry about them. And some, what we end up doing a lot of times, we just kind of put our life on hold, and it's like we can't do anything until we figure this thing out in our life, and we just don't know what to do. And I think for you know, I think all of us in general, like, we want to make the right decision, okay? That's why we're worried about it so much. And I think all of us as Christians, like, generally, we want to choose the option that God wants for us, and we're, we're open to what God has to say, and we, we just don't know what he wants us to do. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been faced with a big decision in your life where you're just like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? All right, I'm listening. Go ahead. Just tell me. I'll do it. But it just doesn't feel like God's answering you. Has that ever happened to you? All right, where you just don't feel like God's giving you a clear answer? Uh, like for me, the last few months, there's been uh, several like big decisions that have been on my plate that I got to sort through and work through. Uh, a couple of them have to do with here at the church. Uh, one exciting thing that we have coming up is we're getting ready to build our, we have actually two children's editions that we're going to go off the front of the church here. And uh, we're excited about that. We've been talking about that. Actually, in a few weeks, I'll give you guys an update about what's going on with that just to keep us all on the same page. Uh, but 
that's been one of those things where there's just a lot of decisions that need made, and it kind of weighs on you. It's like, okay, so when are we going to do this? What's the cost going to be? All right, well, should we hire an architect? Should we have this room? Should we do this in there? Should we do all this stuff? And it's just all, this, all these decisions that are really, really important decisions that we need to make. Another thing here at Grace is within the next year or so, we really want to hire another pastor um, to, uh, to help us out with, uh, with the workload. And, um, and so we're looking for a guy who's going to fit. Like, it's not just, oh, this guy wants to be a pastor. It's, no, this guy needs to fit, especially with how we believe, right? Like, that's the most important thing. We need to have the same beliefs. Um, but also, this guy needs to have the same strategy, he, you know, I, the same mindset of ministry. He needs to work together or work well uh, together with us in our team. And it's just all this stuff. Like, it's complicated, it's not just like some easy decision. Kate and I, over the last few, well, year or so, uh, we've been like casually looking for a house here in Tiffin. You know, we feel like, well, we're in Tiffin now. You know, it's time to, you know, we need to move here. And um, right now we're in Green Springs. But there's a lot of questions that go to that. It's like, well, when should we do it? All right, how much should we pay? Yeah, how many bedrooms should we be looking for? Uh, should we be going for our dream house? Should, should it have a shop? Should it have a big garage? You know, it's all that kind of stuff, all right? Um, I need to know the answer to that. And so there's just all this stuff where it's like, hey, it's way e- it would just be way easier if God would audibly just tell me, hey, this is what I want you to do, Zach. I want you to start building this in November. I want you to hire that guy. I don't want you to buy this house. Like, that would be so much easier for me, but he just has never done that for me. Like, he just doesn't do that. And it's stressful. And I get it. You could tell me after the service and pull me aside and say, hey, you know, uh, don't stress out about it. God's got it. You don't have to worry. Just do the best you can. Like, I get it. I know that. All right. I believe that with all of my heart. But I still got to make the decisions. Like, it's still there. That doesn't take it away. That's what the series is all about. Okay. That's what we're going to be talking about for the next month. As a Christian, we should want to figure out what God's will is for our life. Like, that's what we should be doing. We should want to figure out what God's will is for all the different situations in our life. And that's really the question that ultimately everything boils down to is, how do we do that? Like, how do we figure that out? How do we know what God wants us to do when we're faced with a big decision, when we're at like the fork in the road of our life, and we need to choose if we want to go this way or that way, how do we know which way God wants us to go? Now, today is going to be a little bit different. Uh, Today, what we're going to do is we're going to be talking about um, God's like overall plan, okay? I just kind of want to to start off the series in this way, just to have this kind of, you know, we're under the umbrella of God's overall will. Actually, theologically, it's called God's sovereign will. And the question is, how do we fit into that? And then next week, what we're going to do is we're going to start looking at the specifics of God's will in relation to our decision making. Does that make sense? Okay, we're all on the same page? So the next three weeks will be very practical for us. Today is just kind of an overall, hey, this we got to keep in mind as we're making decisions within our life. All right, good? Okay, good. Um, Now, when it comes to understanding the idea of God's sovereign will, one of our main issues, in my opinion, is I think we just view God too small. All right, we view God too small. Every, th- every single one of us, I think we all do this. Because most of us, what do we want? We want a God who is, we would never say this out loud, but this is the way we act and this is what we think. But we want a God who is slightly bigger and a slightly smarter version of us. Right, that's what we want. All right, we want a God who we can manage, 
who we can predict, all right, we can kind of control. Uh, it's the guy that we totally understand. It's the guy that's super easy for us to explain. And most importantly, it's a God who agrees with us, you know. Um, that, by the way, is not a God that we ever find in the Bible. He ain't there. He doesn't exist, okay. That's not the reality. The God that we find in the Bible is very, very, very different than us. He is big. I mean, he is bigger than big. I mean, he is huge. We don't always understand why he does what he does. We don't always understand his will. We don't always understand what his plan is. But what should be comforting for us is knowing that he has a plan and knowing that he does have everything under control. And I think that's one of the issues with us when it comes to sovereign will or God's sovereign will, which means his like overall plan. It's we look at things in the world that we are like, well, why is that in the plan? Why is evil, how does evil fit with God's will? Like, are you saying God wills that there should be evil? Like, how does that, and, and sin, and how does all this just fit? Like, I don't, I don't get it. And in my opinion, there's no better example in the Bible of figuring out, or maybe it's not even figuring out, it's better understanding. Maybe it's really getting a different perspective of God's sovereign will when it comes to evil than the story of a man in the Old Testament named Job. Now, you know I love me some Job. Okay, it's a good story. It's my favorite story, I think, in the Bible. Um, and so I have to talk about it once in a while. So we're going to talk about that today. I think there's no better example of that than within the story. And this is the way the story starts off. We're going to go through it quickly. It says, uh, there was, um, this is verse 1, Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and he turned away from evil. He says he had seven sons and three daughters. And his estate included 7,000 sheep and goats and 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. He says Job was the greatest man among all the people of the east. All right, so Job's one of these people in the Bible that we see uh, that we just don't know that much about. We don't know exactly when the Job lived. We don't know when he, this all took place. Um, it's probably the oldest book. It's probably the first book that was written in the Bible. Uh, we don't know what nationality Job was. We know he's not Hebrew because his name's not Hebrew, so he wasn't uh, from Israel. Um, but we, we just don't know. Right? We don't know where the land of us was. <laughs> okay, that sounded weird. Um, <laughs> scholars debate Scholars debate on where us was, and so did it again. Um, you know, that's like, you know, we just don't know that much about him. And I think the lack of detail about Job, I think it's intentional. I think the author does it on purpose because I think the author doesn't want us to get caught up in the historical significance of Job. I think what the author wants us to do is focus on the universal questions that we naturally ask when we're faced with the story of Job, particularly his suffering. And so these are questions that everyone has asked, and these are questions that when you have gone through bad times in your life, I'm sure, I'm positive, you have also asked. And so the main thing that we know about Job, really one of the only things we know about Job, is that Job was a godly guy. Right? This, this dude had a great relationship with God. The Bible describes him as a guy who's with complete integrity. He feared God and he turned away from evil. I mean, Job is a guy who took sin seriously, All right? He took sin seriously, and because of that, he had a special relationship with God, and because of that, God blessed him. He was super wealthy. He had a lot of stuff. 
And so Job was one of those guys where he was an extremely godly man, and he was an extremely successful man, and everybody around noticed. I mean, Job was the guy that everybody wanted to be. And so the Bible says that while Job is doing his thing here on earth, that uh, God's up in heaven, and one day the angels come and they present themselves before God, and Satan happens to tag along with them. And we see this in Job chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Then the Lord said to Satan, by the way, let me just stop right there. Let me just pause for a second. Have you ever wondered if God is all good, and let's say he's got this thing called sovereign will, meaning he has an overall plan that we can't really, you know, mess that up, uh, why does Satan exist? Like, why is there Satan? Have you ever thought about that? Why is there evil? Why do we have to deal with sin? Why is there a Satan? Right? Why would he allow that? And the thing that we got to understand, and again, this is super theological, but here's the deal. A universe with the potential to sin, which is where we live, actually brings more glory to God than a universe with no sin. Right? We said again. A universe with the potential to sin actually brings more glory to God than a universe with no sin. And let me try to illustrate, and this is a really dumb way to illustrate, and I just don't know how to make it better. Okay, this is what I came up with this week. Um, how many of you guys are dog people? Okay, you don't, yeah, all right. That's good, good for you guys. Uh, Kate and I, we used to be dog people until our, both of our dogs got hit by a train. Um, that's the honest truth, I know, aw. Um, but uh, anyway, and so... But let's say, let me use one of them as, as an example. Okay, one of them's name was Buckeye, which is a good, strong native Ohio name. All right, Kate named that one. No, that was me. And, uh, and so let's say I'm out in the front yard with Buckeye, and uh, we're throwing a ball or whatever, and I call him, and he comes, okay? And he comes right to me. I, I'm proud. Like, like, I'm just saying that's something that pleases me. That brings glory to me. I'm like, okay, good. He obeyed. I taught him. I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm his master. Okay, there we go. All right, but, uh, but what would inevitably always happen is we'd be out in the front yard doing our thing, and then someone would either jog by, walk by, or even worse, walk their dog by my house. And you know if your dog people exactly what happens. Your dog doesn't listen to you no more. Okay, your dog goes straight to that dog or goes straight to that person who's like dancing around with them and you're just like, I'm so sorry. All right, and the, and the person who's like jogging by, they don't like, don't know what to do and they're like, you know, is this a good dog or a bad dog? And you're like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Buckeye, get over here. You know what I'm talking about? Um, does that ever happen to anybody? Okay, uh, like your dog generally obeys when they want to. That's it. Um, and so what would bring, what would make me happier as an owner? Okay, if I call my dog, and he comes right to me, but there's nothing really else to do, okay? Or I call my dog, and my dog ignores the natural instinct for some reason to go sniff that person, okay? And instead of doing that, comes right to me, right? That would bring me more joy. That would make me more proud if I know that my dog chose to not do the thing that they want to do and obey instead. See, what I'm trying to say is that a world with potential to disobey brings more glory to God than a world that is forced to obey. That's what I'm saying. And so I picture this. Um, God has allowed Satan, uh, God actually, just like 
every single one of us, Satan, just like us, has had the opportunity to choose to do life God's way or choose to do life his own way. And so God has given us the choice, which ultimately brings more glory to him. And so this one day, uh, the angels come and present themselves before God. And I picture God, he's like sitting on his throne. The Bible has given us little glimpses of what that looks like. He's got all these angels. They're all singing to him. They're all worshiping him. They're all singing holy, holy, holy. And they're doing this all in Satan's face, which would have been awesome to be there. I bet they're singing a little louder that day. And I don't know if this is common, and I don't know if Satan does this all the time or what's going on, but uh, I picture Satan, he's just coming up, he kind of hangs out in the back in the corner, he's just kind of complaining, talking about how stupid this is, you know, and he's just kind of whining. And all of this is happening, and God looks over at Satan, and my guess is that he smiles at him, and he says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Notice, by the way, God's the one who brings Job up. He says, have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. And it's funny that Satan knows exactly who God is talking about. Like out of all the people on earth, Satan's like, oh, I knew he was going to bring up Job. Yeah, dang. And Satan pushes back. He's like got his answer ready. He's like, hey, God, um, <laughs> funny you bring up Job because I was actually going to talk to you about him. Uh, do you actually believe that if you w- hadn't have given him all of his wealth and success, like do you actually believe that he would still worship you? There's no way. Right? Of course he's going to worship you, God. Look at all the stuff that you've given him. You've made his life so good. God, take all that away, and I promise you, you see what happens. Now, he's not worshiping you anymore. And God takes Satan's challenge and he says, okay, you go, I give you permission. You go and you do whatever you want, uh, you know, to Job and you take all that away and we'll see what happens. And so one day Job's doing his thing and he looks over and he sees a servant running to, his ho- running, running to him as fast as he can and the servant comes running up to Job and he says, hey, Job, you won't believe it, but a group of men, and they came up and they took all of your donkeys and all of your oxen and he says, they killed all of your servants, all of your workers, they're all dead, I'm the only one that is left to come, that has escaped to come tell you. And then while he's still talking, another servant comes running up and he's like, hey, Job, you won't believe it. Dude, I saw it with my own eyes. Like fire fell from heaven and it burned up all of your sheep and it burned up all the workers. They're all gone. I alone have escaped. And while he's still talking, another servant comes running up and says, hey, Job, it was crazy. Some robbers came and they took all of your, all of your donkey or all of your camels. They're all gone and they killed all of your workers. I'm the only one left and, and I'm the only one who has escaped. And while he He's still talking. Another servant comes running up. He's out of breath. And this is happening, like, in the, in the language. You can tell it's repetitive. It's just one right after another. And this last guy comes up, and he's like, Job, I can't believe it. I'm sorry that I'm the one to have to tell you this. But I was at your son's house, and I was there, and this huge storm just came up out of nowhere. We didn't know it was coming. And it blew your son's house down. Like, it collapsed. And all of your kids were inside. They're all gone. I checked. Can you imagine... What it would have been like, because this is a true, real story. Can you imagine what it would have been like to have been Job in that moment? You lose everything in an instant. I mean, Satan is throwing everything he's got at Job. His life has just completely turned upside down. He loses his wealth. He loses his workers. Some of these guys, I'm sure, are like his best friends. And he loses all of his kids all gone. And later what we find out is that Job, he also loses his health. Satan, he, um, 
he gives Job these, uh, these giant boils all over his skin, which are extremely, extremely painful. And the Bible tells us it's not just like a few. It's like, no, Satan covers his body with these things. They're from the crown of his head all the way to the bottom of his feet. And it hurts so bad that Job would use a broken piece of pottery, and he would scrape these things off of his skin. He was in so much pain. And then he got kicked out of his home. He had to go and live at the, like, the local garbage dump because that's where all the sick people live because no one wanted to get the disease that he had all over his body. They didn't know if it's contagious or not. And so Job is sitting there by himself, and eventually his wife comes to visit. And remember, she's lost everything too. And she comes up to Job, and she sees him, and she says, this is my advice to you, Job. You just need to curse God and die because it is better to just die than to live through what you're living through right now. If you curse God, maybe he will kill you on the spot. Try that. You remember what Job's response was? Job says in chapter 2, he says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. He says, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? It's a question we should be asking ourselves once in a while. Right? We're all free to accept the good from God, but when anything bad happens, we're like, what the heck, God? What's going on here? We're, I, thought you, I thought you were real, you know? He says, should we accept only good from God and not adversity? He says, throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. I mean, what a response, right? Chose not to sin in what he said. And then word of what has happened to Job spreads. Job has a few friends. They hear of all this terrible stuff that he's lost his children. All this stuff has happened. And, and they come to visit him. And when they get within sight of Job, they can't even recognize him because he's so, like, disfigured from these boils that are all over his body. And one by one, they begin to accuse Job of doing something terribly wrong. And really what these guys are asking, they're asking really the same question that I think a lot of us ask. They're like, how could God, like a good God, allow such bad things to happen to such a good person? Like how, how does this work? Like how does this work within God's sovereign will? How could this be his will? And so what they start doing is they start to reason, okay, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe Job just isn't as good of a person as we thought. Maybe he's done a bunch of bad stuff that we don't know, and so God's like punishing him, which would be good, and that would be right. And maybe that's why, that's how this fits into God's will. And so they think that the only reason that this could happen is if Job had committed some major sin. And Job, he pushes back, and he's just like, man, I haven't done anything like really bad. All right, Job wasn't perfect, but he's like, I've tried my hardest. Like, I'm, I'm you know, I haven't, I've, I've treated people well, and I haven't done anything major to deserve anything like this. And then these guys start wearing Job down, and Job starts crying out to God, and he starts asking God, why? Why is this happening to me? How could a good God allow this to happen to me, to a good person? How could this be your will? I mean, think of what he's lost at this point. Right? This guy's lost his money. He's lost his reputation. His wife's just telling him to die. His friends are accusing him of doing some terrible stuff. All right, he's in constant pain. He wants to die. His, his kids are gone, and he's sitting there at the city dump, really in a pile of ashes. And he's just like, man, this is not fair. This is not right. This cannot be God's will. This cannot be within God's plan. And then he starts getting a little more bold. And he starts saying stuff, saying like, hey, God, uh, I don't know if you're listening. It sure doesn't seem like you notice what's going on down here. But if you are, I just want to let you know that if I could, man, I wish I could take you to court because this is not right. And I think if I could take you to court, God, I think I'd win. 
and then God shows up. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. It's like, you should go read it at home. It's Job chapter 38 through 42, I believe. Um, just all this stuff. Job, uh, God starts peppering Job with question after question after question. Job uh, chapter 38 verse 1 says, Then the Lord answered Job from a whirlwind. It's like a tornado thing, all right? You would appreciate that, all right? Columbia, all right, okay? It's like, yeah. It's like a tornado thing, and God starts speaking out of this thing, which at that point, I'm sure Job peed his pants. You know, just like, <gasps> and so this is what he says. God starts talking to him, and he says, who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Basically, God's like, who is talking about stuff that they know nothing about? He says, get ready to answer me like a man. And when I question you, you're the one who's going to be answering me. You inform me. Basically, what God says, the first thing that God says is, all right, Job, I hear you. All right, you get ready. Okay? He says, brace yourself like a man. Some translations say you need to gird, or he says, some translations say gird up your loins like a man. I don't even know what that means, but that is sweet. Okay? All right, God's basically, it's like this idea, it's the con connotation of a wrestling match. And this is, these are God's words. God's saying, hey, this is like, he's saying, you need to uh, pull up your robe. You need to pull together all of your strengths because we are going to fight. That's the idea. That's the words that he's using. He's saying, but we're going to switch this around. Look, look what God does. Job's the one asking God all these questions. Why this? Why this? This isn't fair. All this stuff. And then God turns it around. He's like, uh-uh. You don't ask me the questions. I'm God. I'll ask you the questions, Job, and you will answer me. And then God goes and asks Job 77 consecutive questions, one after another, starting in the very next verse. And we're just going to go through a few of these questions. Um, again, there's like three chapters of questions where you're just like, whoa, it just makes you think. But he starts off saying, hey, where were you, Job, when I established the earth? Hey, Job, were you there when I, um, I don't know, created uh, the earth? Were you there for that? Tell me if you have understanding. Right? Who fixes dimensions? Certainly you know. Like who stretched a measuring line across it? Who decided how big it was going to be? What supports its foundation or who laid its, its cornerstone? He says, while the morning stars, those are the angels, sang together and all the sons of God, another reference to angels, shouted for joy. He's like, were you there for that? I mean, he starts off saying, where were you when I created earth and were you the one who decided how big to make it? Or was that me? I don't remember. Could you help me out? Right? Who decided what you were going to make the earth with? Like what it was going to be created out of? And then he, God throws in this jab. He's like, oh yeah, since you know, Job, since you think you know, were you there for that? And then he describes the process when he was doing this. He's like, and that was when I was creating the earth and creating the universe. He's talking about how all the, the angels were just shouting for joy because they had never seen anything so crazy and so creative in their entire life. Uh, last week, last Saturday, I took my, my boys to uh, the, their first Ohio State game. You know, and they walk in, and we had really good seats. And we walk in, and, uh, it, you know, they had never seen that many people in one place ever in their young little lives. And I'm just, like, showing them. And there was a lot of scoring going on last week, so there's a lot of cheering, and it was loud. And, you know, you just watch them, and their eyes are, like, huge, and they're just like, well, like, they're just trying to take it all in. That's how it was when God created the universe. All the angels are watching, they're just like, this is crazy. Did you see that? You know, they're just like, they're going crazy over this stuff. And then God's like, were you the one, Job, who placed the ocean where you wanted it? Did you decide that? 
Or do you command morning to come? Do you do that every day or is that me? Because I'm, I'm a little confused here. He says, have you traveled to the, source, the sources of the sea or walked in the depths of the oceans? Or have the gates of death been revealed to you? Or have you seen the gates of the deep darkness? Have you been there? Have you comprehended the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. Tell me if you know any of this. He says, can you send out lightning bolts? And they go, hey, do, you, do they report to you? Uh, here we are. Does lightning report to you saying, hey, where do you want us to strike? Can you hunt prey for a lioness or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? He says, when they crouch in their dens and lie in wait within their lairs, who provides the raven's food when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? Is that you, Job, or is that me? I'm a little confused here. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Are you there for that? Have you watched the deer in labor? Have you watched them give birth too? Do you know every time that happens all over the world? Can you count the months that they are pregnant so you can know the time that they give birth? He says they crouch down, they give birth to their young, and they deliver their newborn, and their offspring are healthy, and they grow up in the open field, and they leave and do not return. Did you design that, Job, or was that me? I'm a little confused here. He says the wings of the ostrich, this is my favorite one, because the ostrich is just a weird, weird animal. <laughs> All right? God says it's weird, okay, so it's not just me. Uh, he says, the wings of the ostrich, they flap joyfully, but are her feathers and plumage like the storks? Like, here's a bird, a very large bird. It's got lots of feathers. It's got big wings, and, uh, but it can't fly. Okay, it's not like the stork. It can't fly. She abandons her eggs on the ground and lets them be warmed in the sand. Not like a normal bird. She forgets that a, food, or that a foot may crush them or that some wild animal may trample them. She just does not care, and she treats her young harshly as if they were not her own, with no fear that her labor may have been in vain. It says, for God has deprived her of wisdom, and he has not endowed her with understanding. Here's God saying, hey, have you checked out the ostrich? And Job's like, oh, yeah, that's a weird animal. All right, that is weird. Didn't think about that. And he's like, yeah, I made it that way. All right? And then God's like, and I made it dumb. Like, it is dumb. Okay? It doesn't care about its young. It doesn't think about any of this stuff. It doesn't really care if, any, if it's Baby birds die, you know, it doesn't care about any of that stuff. For God has deprived her of wisdom. But then he says, but have you seen it run? Second fastest land animal. Have you seen a run, Job? Says so she proudly spreads her wings and she laughs at the horse and its rider. Here's God saying, Job, you say you don't understand why you're going through this. And you say you don't understand my overall will especially when you have this suffering kind of right at the forefront of your mind. But, Job, you don't understand a lot of things. But the only thing really that you need to understand, here's what God's saying. He's saying, I'm God. I am on my throne. And I am good. He says, look at all that I have under my control. And God tells Job, I have your life under control too. And it's a reminder for every one of us here, God has our lives under control as well. And it's funny because then Job squeaks out an answer to God. He says, then Job replied to the Lord, he says, I know that you can do anything and that no plan of yours can be thwarted. Here's, he's pointing to God's sovereign will. Right? He's like, I get you have your will and you have your plan for mankind. You know exactly what's going to happen and not even me. A sinner can mess that thing up. He says, you asked, who is this who conceals counsel right at the beginning? Who is this that's talking and doesn't know what they're talking about? He says, okay, okay, that was me. Uh, surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. He says, I heard the reports about you, God, 
people have told me about you. My grandma told me about you. My mom taught me about you. But now I have, my eyes have seen you. He says, therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I am dust and ashes. Basically, Job comes with basically the attitude. As God puts him in his place, he's like, okay, 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 okay. I'm nothing but dirt. I'm nothing but dust. And what this story does is this gives us a different perspective of God's sovereign will. Right? Like it, it just does. It's not that we won't ask why or that we won't question God's will. I think it's okay for us to do that once in a while. It's not wrong to ask the question why. But don't get mad at God because he chooses not to answer you in the way that you want him to. You know, God is so far above us that we, as Job says, we are nothing. We are dirt. We are dust. But even though we are nothing, for some reason, God still cares. That's what God shows Job in his life, and that's what God has shown us through this story. See, we see God's will is sovereign. I mean, throughout this whole thing, we see, he, I mean, he is sovereign over creation, over the oceans, over the animals, over the weather. All right, he's, he's, in, you know, he's in charge. He's over the angels. He's over Satan himself. I mean, Satan can't touch Job without getting God's permission first. And did you notice that God takes Job's challenge, but he, God does not explain himself to Job? Did you notice that? That's a real mom move. You know what I'm talking about? He doesn't answer Job's questions, right? And I think a lot of times when we're suffering, it's like, you know, we all have all these unanswered questions of why is this happening to me and why that? And why has this got to happen? And how could this be within your will? How could you allow this? Just all this stuff. And that's what we see throughout the whole center of the book of Job. It's just chapter after chapter after chapter of his friends arguing with Job about the problem of pain and suffering when it comes to God's will. How could God allow this? But when God shows up, God doesn't answer those questions. He doesn't answer the hard questions. He doesn't explain himself. He reveals himself. And he corrects Job's mindset. And he corrects Job's perspective. And what we see is the ultimate purpose of Job's suffering, I mean, we want to get right down to it. It's to bring glory to God. Meaning God was demonstrating his glory to Satan and all of his angels. It gave God the opportunity to demonstrate his glory to Job as well. I mean, and I think for a lot of us, we hear that kind of stuff. It kind of rubs us the wrong way. We're just like, you know, I know, um, you know, it's just like a hard thing for some of us to hear. Like, okay, okay, so you're saying God is using my suffering for his glory. Like, that just doesn't seem right. But it's actually the secret of living to living a joyful and purpose-filled life. Like, that's it. Like, that's the secret. Like, realizing that for me, like Zach Pinkerton, along with really everything else in this world, like, I exist for God's glory. That's why I'm here. That's why I exist. Uh, that's, that's, that's what matters in this life. Like, we were created to live for God. We were created to live for ourselves. That's not how God created us. And when we wrap our minds around that, what I think we feel is we get to experience true freedom and we get to experience the trust in God that we've never experienced before, that we've just never had before. And what we see at the end of the story is that God, he actually gives Job twice as much as what he had. Right? He gives Job more wealth. He gives Job more, more children. And my guess is that 30 years later, 
that if we were to ask Job, saying, hey, Job, would you, do you wish that that would have never happened? I bet Job wouldn't change a thing. I mean, we've, we've experienced that in our life. Like for Job, I mean, he got more kids, and I don't think he would give those kids up to go back. You know, you ever felt that? Like when you go through some hard, challenging thing in your life, and it's something that is just terrible, but then time goes by, and you look back, and you see all the good that comes from it, you know, we're just like, yeah, I never, ever, ever want to do that again, but I wouldn't trade it either. You ever felt that before? Like even us as what Job calls us is like dirt, nothing. Even we can see some of the good that comes from bad things in our life and bad circumstances, let alone God who sees everything. And so what we need to remember is that God's sovereign will is always good. It's always good. And knowing that, we should be able to find comfort in that. Knowing that he's got everything under control, that we can't mess it up. Even when we make the wrong turn, we can't mess it up. And that's something we could trust in. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words. And we thank you for this story. One of my personal favorite stories and just answers a lot of questions. God, we, um, we ask that as we go throughout this next work week and we're faced with the issues that will pop up, stuff that we don't even know is coming, <laughs> but it's coming. God, we ask that we look towards your will and we look towards what you have for us and we actually walk into these situations with the right perspective and the right mindset of, hey, you got everything under control and we can trust in your plan. Your plan and our plan might not be the same plan, but we could trust in you. And God, we thank you for the ability to do that. And we thank you for these words, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.